How many feels like a work in progress? <laughs> How many is thankful for the progress Amen. and the process that God is working on all of us to accomplish his purpose and his plan? This thing's roaring again. So turn the mains down, maybe. Pastor Wells messed it all up last week. I'll blame it on him. It's not my fault. It's never my fault, right? Is that how everybody else gets through life? It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault all the time. And my ear is still not working, so three weeks in, um, this ear is kind of fouled up for some reason. So if I'm talking low, just do this, and I'll know to speak up. So that'll be our cue. So let's listen to a podcast this past week, and there was a minister on the podcast that was discussing just multiple different topics, and they was going a little bit everywhere. Has anybody ever been in a conversation where it seems like it goes everywhere? <laughs> you can't stay put and focused on something, but it just it gets away from you. You talk about this, then you talk about that, which leads to this, which leads to that, and it, it kind of bounces around. It's like chasing a squirrel, or Leslie says all the time, you know, squirrel, because, you know, somebody starts talking about something different when we're trying to pay attention to something. So I guess Elsie's squirrel is a <laughs> her morning uh, breakfast bar. She had crumbles all over her face while it was pretty awesome. And she was wearing it pretty well. It's kind of like a necklace. But this guy talked about how that it's progress over perfection. That we need to stop trying to obtain perfection, but we need to continue in a progress towards that perfection. And progress is not something that comes easy sometimes. Amen? How many feels like sometimes you take two steps forward? And 17 steps back. You know, some people say two steps forward, three steps back. But I think sometimes it feels like 17 steps back. And it seems like and feels like and looks like we're going in the wrong direction. But progress is progress nonetheless. Because even if you just take those two steps to get forward, even though the devil will push you back 17 steps, you still went two steps forward. Amen? And it's encouraging when we begin to have a positive outlook on what God is doing in our life. No matter the circumstances, no matter what we're currently facing, no matter the current situations, God is with us. He is in us. The Bible says he's the hope of glory. So, this work in progress thing that I want to go through for a week or two here to just kindly reformat us in our way of thinking and what we're paying attention to, okay? 
I want us to pay specific attention to the most important thing in our life. And the most important thing in your life, whether you've already obtained it or you will obtain it someday, is salvation. There's nothing more important in this life than salvation. There's other things we can obtain. We can go from glory to glory, the Bible says. But the most important thing that a human can obtain on this planet, in this life, is salvation. Look to your neighbor and say, I hope you're saved. Now look at them and say, I can't save you. But I know who can. <laughs> How many knows who can? Amen? If we could feel that and sense that and know that and understand that and live that, I can't save you, but I know who can. That is hope of a resurrection that Jesus is salvation. He alone is salvation. And it's a progress. Salvation is. There's progress in salvation. It's instantaneous. Yes. When you ask him to forgive you of your sins, it's instantaneous that he saves you, correct? And you can never be more saved. Amen? You are as justified in Christ, and you are as righteous in Christ, and you are in that place of perfection in God's kingdom when he's looking down at you because he sees your sin no more. Salvation is saving you from your sin. So he sees his son when he looks at you because Jesus' blood covers our sins. Do you think God looks ill on his son? I think not. I think he loves his son. And I think Jesus is the beloved of God. And God cherishes him. So when he looks at us, when we are under the salvation of Jesus, he sees Jesus. Are you happy about that? Is there anybody saved in the house? Is there any salvation folks in here? That should excite us that we have a hope inside of us that is the hope of glory. That I get to make heaven my home someday. I have the most important component of my life checked off. I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. Amen. Simple as that. That is salvation. But there's a few other words. Holiness, sanctification. There's doctrines according to all these things. And you go study these and we could go in depth and spend years. There's some folks that spend their lifetime on one little word. And a topic that they dig into as a theologian and become a professional, a scholar at one word. Justification's a big deal. It's a big word. It's not something we should take lightly because Jesus justifies us. But some of the most simplest preaching I've ever heard on that topic is what does the word justification mean? It means just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justification is. Just as if I'd never sinned. So if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty and keep it simple, stupid, I tell you kiss, right? Keep it simple, stupid. We need to do that more than we think. 
Justification is just as if I'd never sinned. So at salvation, at checking the box, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I give up on my life. I accept your life for mine. You're justified, just as if you'd never sinned. But then there's doctrines about can a Christian sin? There's some pretty deep topics out there. There's some pretty big theologians that ask the question, can a Christian sin? It's called once saved, always saved. So once you become saved, will you be saved forever? <laughs> he don't unsave you, but can we unsave ourselves? There's plenty of places in Scripture where we walk away. He didn't leave us, we leave him. So it's this doctrinal stuff, and I don't want to get into any of that, Calvinism and all this, Arminianism, I don't want to get into any of that. It's too deep for us to even contemplate with our little pea-sized brains. I've tried, and <laughs> if you want to go down that road, study at home and dig deep, because I promise you after about 50 years, you'll still be wondering, uh, am I Armenian or am I Calvinist in my approach to Jesus? And it's, it's, it's that deep. You can't get through it. And if they couldn't, why, why should I expect I'm going to? So my relationship with Jesus is I accept him or I deny him. It's pretty simple. So salvation happens how? I, I saw Dee posted, David, about on, on Facebook there the other day about, you know, Never sat in church, the thief on the cross, you know, never said the sinner's prayer, all these checkboxes, never been baptized, never been all these things. But yet he walked into glory with Jesus that day. So how hard is it to be saved? Is it something we have to strive for and lean into and go through a two-year thought process of heartache no. Salvation is simple. Look at your neighbor and say, salvation is simple. Now look at him and say, he made it simple enough for you. <laughs> Basically, even I can be saved. But at that point of salvation, there's other doctrinal issues we have to lean into. Holiness. What is holiness? Scripture says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's a pretty tall task. Right? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Jesus said, be ye holy, for I am holy. <laughs> what is holiness? Is it the way we dress? If that was the case, I should be in a three-piece suit this morning. According to some people's standards, right? And some of you ladies sitting in here in blue jeans, sorry, you can't make it. Have to have a dress on. The only way to get to heaven is getting, getting a dress on. <laughs> in culture, but I heard a preacher say one time, Brother Overton, and my Aunt Mary loved, went to Brother Overton Church. I, I went down there for a while with him when he got hurt that time, and I, I learned a lot from Brother Overton. But he said, don't ever preach a a salvation message or a salvation that is contained in your region. Jesus 
is not worried about saving a certain region of the earth. He wants the whole earth. And he came to die for all who sinned. Not just a few. All who sinned. And we've all sinned and fell short of the glory of God, right? So Brother Overton said what we need to think about is don't ever preach a gospel that can't be accepted by somebody else on the planet. And he said, if you want to preach a gospel about clothing, about dress, and a woman has to have a dress on, will that work in Antarctica? Probably not. Be kind of cold, wouldn't it? Or you can't preach a message about a man and a preacher has to have a three-piece suit on with extra layer of clothing on underneath and go down to the Sahara in Africa, 110 degrees year-round. That won't work. So the gospel you preach must be simplified enough that the whole world can receive it. And Jesus made it that simple. So I am comfortable in my salvation this morning standing here in, in a shirt, T-shirt, I guess they call them, even though it's long sleeve. I, I still call it a T-shirt. Maybe I'm wrong. And, and blue jeans. I, I'm comfortable, Sister Joanne, in my salvation that Jesus looks at the internal more than the external. And that's the salvation that I have attained by checking the box of saying, Jesus, I place my trust in you. Because if I could save myself, I'd have had it done a long time ago. Has anybody in here ever been uh, successful in saving yourself? <laughs> I'd say no one. Because all of Hebrews and all of the nation of Israel had always strived for perfection. And Paul even said he, he obtained that perfection. Paul did. But he still comes short. Even in keeping all the scriptures and keeping all of the regulations and rules and Pharisees and all the things that Paul did, he still fell short to God's standard. So holiness, what is it? It's where you can stand before God. And what he sees is himself. And that's where so many times in Scripture it talks about righteousness, the righteousness we have. Isaiah said our righteousness is filthy rags. This is coming from a prophet, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament, that said my righteousness is, is as filthy rags. My holiness is as filthy rags. I can do everything right and still be wrong. I can be perfect in the moral compass of this earth and still be wrong in heaven's standard. Amen? So God's standards are extremely high beyond our getting on our own accord. So holiness is there. Sanctification is something that, another word that kind of goes along with holiness, that is something you continually work on. So you get saved for free. Amen? Jesus gives it to you for free. How, how many's ever not had money to buy something and wanted it really, really bad? How many's went ahead and got that thing and walked and talked to that person and said, I'd really like to have that. I'm just giving the old puppy dog eyes. Somebody owns it. They bought it, worked for it, paid for it, and you're wanting it. Don't have the money to pay for it, and you're looking at that puppy dog eyes off. You give it to me, I'll, I'll work it out. 
How many's ever had somebody give you something that you couldn't pay for and said, we'll work it out? How many loves when somebody owes you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Giving somebody something and knowing they owe you, it's feel like you feel like you got them over the barrel. It's like, yes, I'm the master of this domain now. They owe me. Jesus doesn't do us that way. He's glad when we ask him for salvation because he paid the ultimate price and it was his life. But when he gives us that salvation, it's free. We are justified by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot earn salvation. But I think we owe him for our salvation. Does that make sense? Salvation is free, but I owe him for it. I can never repay him for it, but I can pay dividends towards that cost that he paid. Does that make sense? I know I'm teaching, and I know I'm not screaming at you or anything, but I just want this to make sense. Jesus is salvation. He paid for it. We owe him for the payment. So that's where Paul tells Timothy, his beloved understudy. I feel like Dusty's my understudy. I feel like a lot of times, like I said last week, he knows more than me, but still he's my understudy for this moment in time. And, and I feel like I can speak words and Dusty takes them into account. He'll, he'll, he'll pay attention. And Paul had this young man named Timothy that he was in ministry with, and he would tell Timothy things. And he, he told Timothy once, he said, Work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling before God. He didn't say work for your salvation. <laughs> work out your own soul salvation. We'll work it out. Jesus already paid for it, but Timothy, you've got some work to do. And in this room, we as a church collectively have some work to do. We're a work in progress. But there's work that needs accomplished. And how many knows that work doesn't take care of itself? Amen? I, I'm not like Leslie. She accomplishes a lot more than I do because she does more than I do. So sometimes when I get tired, I'll just sit down, Corey. I'll take a break. I go out in my garage and take off working on something, and I'm kind of like how I began this sermon and said stories sometimes go in a million different directions. That's why I am in my garage, Shannon. I'll get out there and say, well, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get that table done, and I'm going to get this bench set, and I'm going to get this vice put on, and next thing you know, I'm over in the other corner digging through a rat's nest or something. <laughs> it's like stay focused for a minute and do something. And I'm sure that Timothy had a lot of work to do. That Paul was telling this, work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling before God. Why was he working it out? Because we all have to work it out. And we are a work in progress. So think about it this way. And I, I, it's 11 p.m. And I haven't even started, but we're good. So he who has begun a work in you, 
We'll finish it. Then there's also scripture that says that he that endures till the end shall be saved. So on the cross, how many think salvation happened on the cross? Amen. Amen. So Jesus hanging on that cross, he had already been through an entire night of punishment, of anguish. And Pastor Wells saying last week about those crown of thorns and how personal Pastor Wells was taking it was how personal we should take it. Amen. That Jesus should be that personal to us because his pain, we should be able to feel that because of the pain we inflicted on him. They might have put the crown of thorns on him, but it was our thorns. So as he was believing and feeling that and anticipating that last week, I could just sense how Pastor Wells was internalizing that in the moment and how real it was to him. Kind of like the first time you ever saw the Passion of Christ. First time you see it, it's just like beyond recognition of what I ever would have imagined in my own mind. And I'm sure it wasn't perfected. Mel Gibson did a good job, but it wasn't perfected. But Jesus on the cross, and he's up there. Been through this night of hell. Nailed to a cross. And as Pastor Wells said, they, they took this rag and they sopped it in this vinegar and they pressed it to his lips because he was thirsty. Because that's what happens. That's how your body breaks down and becomes thirsty after you bleed out enough and you, you've been through so much pain. It's, it's, you need some water and they cried out for water and they, they give him vinegar. Anybody ever drunk vinegar? How many has to hold your nose when you drink that? And a lot of times you just drink it for medicinal purposes, I guess. They say it's good for you, but, man, it's hard to stomach. So they put that to Jesus' lips, and it didn't soothe the pain. He didn't get an Oxycontin or an Epidural or a Hydrocodone or a And it goes on and on and on and on for six hours hanging on a cross. Nails in his wrist, nails in his feet. And the way they describe it is every breath that he breathes, he's got two options. Either I pull myself up by my arms that ache or I shove myself up to get a breath by my feet that aches. Every breath for six hours. Total pain and anguish. She's in here, so it's <laughs> not her. No worries, I don't muzzleload, so it wasn't me. Might have been Bubba. <laughs> And Jesus goes all the way through that entire process. Eli, Eli, and he goes through his words that he says. and They nail up the plaque over his head, says king of the Jews. Mock him. 
public spectacle for all to see. But it says three words to end it. It is finished. He said forgive them before this. At the end, he said it is finished. It is finished. And he gave up the ghost. So just to make sure he died, they stabbed him in the side with a spear. And the trajectory of that from the ground where he was sat and on the cross that he was on, they say that, you know, that went up through his rib cage and went through both lungs and then punctured his heart. Just to make sure. I know he said it's finished. But my job is to make sure he's dead. And just like they, too often we question whether he really finished it or not. How many believe when Jesus said it is finished, it is finished? How many is thankful that Jesus said about your sin and my sin throughout all of history up to that point in time, clock had been ticking and it was coming that direction, but in that moment when he said it is finished, the entire universe shifted. That's when a storm came. That's when the veil in the temple was rent in two, the big thick curtain. They say it's sometimes as much as six inches thick in the holiest of holy place in, in the temple over there in Jerusalem where they're fighting right now. An earthquake happened that ripped for the first time in history that veil, that curtain, like in a play out there at the auditorium, ripped it in two. That scared the Jews to death because they thought they housed God behind a curtain. And God said, I'm bigger than that curtain. And I'm here to save the world. And you're all my people. So when Jesus says, it is finished, how many believes it's finished? So I've been thinking about this question, pondering this question. Just It's rolling around my brain, and I ain't going to say I got an answer for you right now. I'm just saying that this question is rolling around in my brain, a work in progress that we are. When Jesus said it's finished, is, is it finished? Because if it was finished, he would have just took everybody that he had already saved and just took them to heaven and it had been over. His part was finished. That's the way I'm thinking about it. But our part is yet unfinished. Is anybody with me? Yes. Is he working? Is the brain spinning? Is any wheels turning here? Or am I just alone in this? Jesus said it's finished, but it wasn't over. So they take that lifeless body down, and Joseph Arimathea, and he takes it, and he says, I've already built me a tomb, and I've already had some people to carve out a, a hole in this 
rock over here, and, and I'm going to have a place to lay my head when I'm dead and gone. And I'm going to have my tomb already ready. I've already made my preparations. I went down and seen Tony Gatiss or, or William Waddell. I've already talked to them, and I've already made preparations, and I've already got a gravesite up there on Skidmore Cemetery, and I've got all it taken care of. It's all paid for. Anybody else got that done? I ain't saying I do. Wish I did. I'm so unprepared that my dad had to buy it for me. A few years ago, he just went ahead and bought all of us one, and they're all fair to Skidmore Cemetery, I guess, because he all wants us all to be together. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for paying for my grave. But I need to go take care of and pay them. I don't want anybody to have to face that burden. I've, wa I've watched it too many times of families struggling and figuring out how can we do it and how can we afford it and how can we make a way because there's no preparation. It's not pretty. And it's hard decisions are made at that time. You're better off to be prepared. Joseph Arimathea was prepared, but in the moment when Jesus said it's finished and he's standing there and he sees this guy that he had walked around and heard talk and heard of the miracles that he had done and all these things, he thought, I owe him something. I know I've got a grave for me, and I've prepared for me, but I've never prepared anything for anybody else. I've been selfish in my approach to this life. And he says, I'll tell you what, give me his body, I'll put him in my grave. You talk about giving up. What if you'd already had your tombstone made there? You say, Jesus, you, you, you can borrow mine. I'll put you in there. But Jesus has been telling them three days and he's coming back. Yep. Right? He had told his disciples, he told all of them, three days the Son of Man will rise again. He told them parables about it. He told them all kinds of stories about it. They, they didn't understand it. He told them, don't mean they understand it. He said it, don't mean they understood it. Kind of like sometimes we say things that we don't understand, right? But Jesus said it's finished. But here's somebody working within the next few seconds and takes a lifeless body that had laid hands on the blind and they saw that stood over top of a little baby girl that was already dead that the wellers were there and all these things were happening and he stood over that little girl's body and he said come forth and come out just like he did to Lazarus and the girl come alive here's a lifeless body that had done lifeful things And Joseph takes this lifeless body and he takes it down and he puts it in this tomb. And then the Romans get all scared. And the chief priests and all of them, like, I, I bet you somebody steals his body. Romans put, put some guards there. <laughs> this is not Easter, but it feels like it. Are you with me? <laughs> it might not be the season of Easter or the Easter on the calendar, but I feel Easter in this room. And this lifeless body laying in a cold tomb on this platform of stone. Have you ever laid on a rock when it's cold? It'll take what heat you do have out of you. And this lifeless body laying there wrapped
And as we read more of Scripture, we know that although Jesus said it's finished and gave up the ghost on that cross, he's still working. Is anybody with me? Even though he's not in his physical body that hung on that cross, Jesus, the soul and the spirit of God, is still working. Where's he at? He's in paradise, right? Where's paradise? Down below. And he's down there and he's preaching to the righteous dead. It's where Peter says that he spoke to those in prison that had died before the cross of Calvary. They went to a place basically in hell. But paradise was opposite side. The story of Lazarus, you know, the rich man and Lazarus, one side to the other. So here Jesus is down there working. He had said it's finished, but yet he's working. It is finished is a declaration and anticipation of a final result of someday Jesus on the great white throne of judgment in the end of the book of Revelations when we get all the way to the end of the book and he's there and he's declaring things and it's finished at that point. He's speaking on the cross that's finished not in time but in eternity. And I'm glad he didn't quit working. I'm glad even though without his body, he's still there doing work even in hell. King David said, even in hell, yet you're there with me. Jesus went to hell so you won't have to. It wasn't just the cross. He's worked from the beginning of time and he'll work until Revelations 22. He's still working on me. He's still working on you. He never stops working. So in that work, he's down there doing, preaches them, and then the next thing you know, he's down there working. He's still around. He's still living. He may be dead in body, but he's alive in spirit. And he's still working. Can, can you feel that? Do you understand what I'm saying? He is working. When others thought he's dead, he's working. And he's preaching to these folks down here in hell. And on the third day, and on the third day, Some of the women went over to do the duties because there's a dead body and there's certain ointments you have to do and certain processes you have to do. There's a work you have to do. And when they get over there, what they see? The stone had been rolled away. The Roman guards were not to be seen because they run away scared because they saw the angels of God. And Jesus was not there. Right? He's not here, for he is risen. Did he stop there and say, well, it's finished? The Bible said that there's hundreds, you can read this in Acts, there's hundreds that rose from the dead with him. 
Can you imagine seeing somebody you love and adore and cherish right now? And I see your people, I see you guys' post about it time to time, whenever an anniversary comes about of somebody that passed away, and you'd say, I'd give anything to hug them again. I'd give anything to say I love you again. I've preached funerals for your, for your kinfolk and my kinfolk. I realize this. And I sense and I know and I understand it because I feel it myself. If I've had a nickel for every time I've said, I wish I could hug my grandma one more time, Corey, I'd be a millionaire today. Because I love them. And I'd give anything, I say. Jesus brought them with him. And can you imagine the folks in that town? Jessica, whenever somebody they loved come out of that ground with Jesus and was walking around with him. Hundreds. Jesus is still working. And he don't work alone. He works in multitudes. He brought them with him to prove a point. You may think when you lay somebody in a cold ground that it's the end. But I'm telling you, there's an eternity that will go forever. And we're coming out of that ground. That's right, amen. Rich, poor, young, old, yes. black, white, all of it. That's right. We're not destined to stay in that ground for eternity forever. Amen. It's not our destination. It's a resting place. It's not a destination. So Jesus comes out of there and what's he do? What's some of the stories that you know that Jesus did when he came out of the grave? For one, the disciples were scared and stayed over there in the upper room saying, I ain't going to go see him. The women, women, you, you can go out. Us men will sit back here in the house. We'll, we'll pray. Chickens. It says that Jesus came. His disciples were there in the upper room and they were scared and afraid and terrified of what the Jews were going to do to them because they'd just seen their Savior killed, their Messiah, their teacher, their instructor, their professor got killed. They watched it, they witnessed it, and they wasn't ready to go themselves. So they're scared in an upper room. What's it say? Jesus comes. And he knocks on the door. They say, ah, that's a trick. Don't believe that. Does Jesus just stay outside and say they don't want me in? What's it say? He just enters the room through the wall. He comes in and he looks at his disciples and says, it's me. You can tell it's me, right? And they're all there and Thomas, the doubter, right? Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can put my finger in the holes in your hands and the holes in your feet. I have to physically touch to know I've got faith to believe and I know you said it's finished but I got to know for myself and Jesus sticks out his hand and says Here, get her done then you know why because it's still working right. trying to get somebody to believe we're all a work in progress and Jesus does not quit Jesus does not go back and stand back and say it's impossible he says nothing's impossible. And he's going to chase you. He's going to follow you. He's going to be there for you 
Even when we leave him, he's just a turn in direction that we can turn right back around and he's standing right there. We can abandon him. He don't abandon us. It is finished. And in saying that, a work in progress, Jesus is working, but let's see you play or something. I got to quit. Because this just, this sermon's already finished, but still work to do, Travis. Still some ground to plow and seed to sow and Amen. There's some cultivating to do. A little bit of fertilizing needs placed. We're all good ground. And Jesus is worth investing in us here today. Is he working? Is he working on you? And the power in three words is what I was trying to get at in this message today is the power of three words. The power of three words if somebody in our community is struggling and somebody in our church is struggling or somebody in your family that's struggling or burdened down with the cares of this life and I want to tell you there's power in three words just like there was for Jesus to say it is finished doesn't mean the work's over but it's a statement it's a proclamation and there's three line words that you can say that will change the destiny people in your community people in your family or people at your workplace you know you can walk in tomorrow morning and look at somebody that you know struggling that's been you, you can tell by their face can't you can't you tell by somebody's face when they're going through things and struggling there's three three words you can say you can say I'm here for you you know I, I, I love you I'll help you. There's all kinds of little three-word sentences. If there's any English teachers in here that say, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. I, I think you can get by with three words, can't you? Any English teachers in here, teachers? I, is I love you, is that a sentence? Put a period after it. Could be, right? sometimes those three little words seem like it's not enough. And I won't tell you. It's not. Because there's more work to do behind that. You can say I love you to somebody. If you don't put the work in there, still work to do. 
I don't know anybody that spoiled their wife more than Dusty during Albie's birthday week. It seems like it goes on for an eternity because he goes all in. I, I don't do that. I mean, Leslie, we don't even have birthdays. We don't have kids, and we don't we go celebrate your kids' birthdays and all that stuff, but we really don't do birthdays. Shame on me. I need to learn from Dusty. Yeah. I'll tell Leslie I love her. And I try to say it. And I try to do it, Corey. Boots, I try. There's more work I can do to be a better husband. I can tell you I love you as your pastor. Just sitting in this room last week, as Pastor Wells was speaking, it was like internal inside of me that a longing to do more, to be a better pastor. Because there's still work to do. Sure, Jesus finished it, but there's still work to do. So I want us to set a goal this week. And I, I want you to pray about this. I want, I want you to ask for God's guidance through the Holy Spirit with this. That you come up with these little three-word sentences, these little declarations, these little statements. If you're, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in a relationship right now, God help us to do the work. Not just say the words, but do the work. To do what Jesus did. Even when they buried him in a tomb, he kept on working. Let's be like that. And I want you to pray about what is your three words that you're going to say to people. And I don't want it just to be for one person. I want you to, I want you to think about this, that God has not called you to a one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody and everybody else don't count. The world is at stake here. And we've got a work to do. Our community is all just a work in progress. The lost, the broken, the busted, the disgusted, the rich, the poor, young, old. Jesus wants us to work. Just like Paul said to Timothy. Work out your soul's salvation. You know what your soul is? Your mind, will, and emotions. How many would like to have your mind to be at peace? How many like to have your will submissive to his where it would give up on ours? How many like your emotions to stay in check? that you bring 
to us here at the bridge. God, I thank you that you have us on this journey in this moment to talk to us about being a work in progress. God, for every person sitting in this room today, for those watching online, for those that will listen on the podcast, help us to realize and see the work that you're doing. But God, I know that there's more than just your side of this relationship that you're asking things of us. That you did the work to get us salvation and now you're challenging us to do the work that you've called us to do. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come. Everybody here, just just say, Holy Spirit, come. No asking like you want Him to come. Holy Spirit, come. And do what only you can do. Begin to ask Him to do a work on you specifically and to help you work more for God's kingdom. To give you a clear vision. Father, I pray that you would equip them with these three-word sentences that they could say and make statements to individuals this week. This week. Lord, when suicide is running rampant, when the enemy is out trying to kill, steal, and destroy those that we love in our community, in our families, the mind games that he's playing, God, help us to have three words that will make an eternal impact just like Jesus said it is finished give us power in our words God and give us the clarity of mind to speak them as truth and then allow us to follow up on them and continue the work of building your kingdom here on this earth and in eternity forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you don't know Jesus, don't make it hard. Just ask Him to come in your heart. Just believe and trust that He's the Savior of the world and you'll be saved. It's that simple. Love God, love people. Be a blessing to somebody this week. And if you... Come across those three words. Share them with somebody else that you're in relationship with in the church. Encourage one another this week. You're dismissed.